1: Welcome to ParCast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal Crimes of Passion episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the ParCast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular ParCast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find the original episodes of these for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Today, we're discussing cases of elderly criminals. Research has shown that criminal activity tends to peak in someone's 20s and 30s and declines gradually with age. But what leads elderly criminals to start their crime sprees late in life? How do they differ from younger criminals? In the world of crime, the elderly are a stark minority. According to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, only 19.4% of all inmates are over the age of 50. In fact, criminal activity tends to start in adolescence or young adulthood and stop relatively quickly. For most criminals, these changes in poor behavior are typically due to significant changes in their lifestyle. For instance, they may get a better paying job or have a child. Additionally, many criminals find their bodies weakening as they age, increasing the risk of criminal activity and reducing the potential rewards. Yet, despite the hardships crime may pose for the elderly, there are still some older folks who find the time to break the law. In fact, according to the FBI, the number of elderly criminals within the United States has increased from 58,500 to 84,415 between 2000 and 2013. In total, that is an increase of over 44%. Little is known about why the United States has seen such an uptick in elderly crime. However, it is highly likely that financial stress has something to do with it. Inmates over 60 years old cost the prison system three times as much to house as younger inmates. Much of this can be attributed to health care costs, as prisoners over the age of 55 possess an average of three chronic ailments that require continual medication. It isn't difficult to imagine that the cost of elderly living could drive a person to commit crimes in their old age. But there are some silver-haired crooks who take things far further than most have ever thought possible. Our first clip comes from our show, Con Artists, examining the mind behind one of the biggest Ponzi schemes in history, Bernie Madoff. Madoff was 70 years old at the time of his 2008 arrest and he had been running his Ponzi scheme since at least the early 1990s, possibly longer. Madoff started his own market-maker firm in 1960, and his experience, charisma, and wealth made him appear trustworthy to investors. Over the years, he strategically built on that image, successfully cheating $65 billion out of his investors. But when the recession hit in 2008, Madoff's pyramid scheme unraveled.
2: It seemed as though no one could stop Bernie Madoff, not Harry Markopolos, not the SEC, not any government or higher power. His Ponzi scheme would not go down until the Great Recession destroyed everything it was built on. In 2008, a series of dominoes soon fell across the financial industry. Stocks traded for lower and lower prices, Investors around the world pulled their money as people across America faced the very real fear of losing their homes. And whether they knew it or not, many of those investors were pulling their money out of Madoff accounts. For Bernie Madoff, Fall 2008 was the day of reckoning. He was suddenly on the hook for all the money he'd banked on keeping forever money he'd largely already spent. And given the recession, his pool of new investors had dried right up. Between August and November of 2008, Madoff went from billionaire to millionaire. It was increasingly impossible to hide his failure. On December 3rd, 2008, Madoff finally face the music, in his own way. He called Di Pascali to his office and told him to start writing cheques. They were on the hook for approximately $1.5 billion, which was approximately $1 billion more than they had. At 70 years old, Bernie Madoff was tired he decided to distribute the remaining stolen money to his family and friends so the people close to him would get their money back. Madoff told Di that once the checks were out, he planned to turn himself in. Instead of Florida, he'd be retiring to prison.
1: In that clip from our Bernie Madoff episodes of Con Artists, Madoff resigned himself to the judgment of the justice system. In 2009, Madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison for his crimes. Over 16,000 investors filed claims against Madoff. And, as of 2019, reparations are still being paid to the victims. Madoff fits the bill for the typical elderly offender, as one study shows that 43% of elderly criminals' crimes are financial in nature, But that doesn't mean that all elderly criminals have white collars. Our next clip from a special Serial Killers and Female Criminals crossover episode covers the death house landlady, Dorothea Puente. She started murdering tenants in her Sacramento, California boarding house when she was in her 50s. Like Madoff, Puente was motivated by money, though her methods were much more violent. She targeted elderly or disabled victims who received regular government stipends. Once she killed them, Puente would cash their social security checks.
3: Things didn't start to appear strange until 80-year-old Betty Palmer moved into the house, around the same time as Carol Durning. In his book about the case, The Bone Garden, Author and former district attorney William P. Wood describes Palmer as a, quote, spry, eccentric woman who formed imaginary romantic attachments to her doctors.
1: But not long after moving into F Street, the once spry Betty fell quickly ill. Carol Durning saw Dorothea give Betty some pills more than once, but Dorothea offered no explanation. All Carol knew was that Betty often laid on the couch moaning, sometimes for hours at a time, Although it seemed like she should be in a hospital, Dorothea wouldn't hear of it.
4: Approximately one month after she moved in, Betty Palmer suddenly disappeared. Once again, Dorothea was responsible. We don't know whether the two had a falling out or if Dorothea just got tired of Betty being around, but Dorothea either drugged Betty to death or sedated and smothered her.
3: Because she planned to bury Betty in the front yard, she chopped off Betty's head and hands to obscure her identity in case she was ever found. Then Dorothea wrapped Betty's mutilated, nightgown clad body in a makeshift shroud, buried her, and covered the grave with cement. Betty's missing head and hands were never found.
1: Dorothea's neighbors had gotten used to her late night gardening, so they didn't think twice about her doing a yard project in the middle of the night. Sometimes tenant Mervyn John McCauley helped with the landscaping, so it's possible he did some of the digging or cement work, unaware that Dorothea was actually burying bodies in the yard. McCauley was good friends with Dorothea, so he trusted her and never questioned her behavior.
4: When tenant Carol Durning asked Dorothea where Betty Palmer had gone, Dorothea shrugged and said Betty's daughter had picked her up. But a little while later, Betty's daughter came by looking for her. When the tenants confronted Dorothea about the discrepancy, she said she'd put Betty in a nursing home but didn't want Betty's daughter to know.
3: With her first two murders of Ruth Monroe and Everson Gilmeth, Dorothea had already laid a foundation of lies with their families before they disappeared. The fact that Dorothea told conflicting stories about where Betty went indicates that it may have been a more impulsive killing.
4: According to a Moroccan study at the University of Hassan II, Casablanca, "...impulsivity has been repeatedly identified as a major problem in schizophrenia." Lack of medication only exacerbates it. Dorothea had already demonstrated a short, often violent temper and an out-of-control shopping habit, both clear signs that she lacked impulse control. Betty's murder may have been the most violent sign of her impulsivity yet."
1: With Betty's murder, 58-year-old Dorothea firmly established herself as a serial killer. According to the FBI, serial murder is defined as, quote, the unlawful killing of two or more victims by the same offender in separate events, unquote. When classifying this type of crime, it's the cooling-off period between victims that defines a serial murderer. Five years elapsed between Ruth Monroe's murder and Everson Gilmour's. But Dorothea killed Betty Palmer less than six months after disposing of Everson's body. In that clip from our Serial Killers episodes on Dorothea Puente, she used murder as a means of personal profit. Police eventually found the bodies that Puente had buried in the backyard of the boarding house. And in 1993, at the age of 64, Dorothy Puente stood trial for her crimes. She was convicted and incarcerated in the Central California Women's Prison until her death in 2011. All Puente's murders were made possible by the average person's perception of her, especially their perception of her age. She played up her grandmotherly looks, inflating her true age by 10 to 15 years and made her peers unlikely to suspect her of such brutal crimes. Because who would suspect a sweet little old lady of being a ruthless, thieving murderer? Coming up, we'll hear about the cocaine godmother, Griselda Blanco. Now back to the show. So far, we've heard about opportunistic elderly criminals. Motivated by financial gain, both Bernie Madoff and Dorothea Plente saw a chance to make a quick buck off those around them. They were relatively simple schemes. But in our next clip from Parcast Original, Kingpins, we discuss Griselda Blanco, who ran a vast and complicated empire. Blanco was a Colombian drug lord in the Medellin cartel from the 1980s to the 2000s. Like Dorothy Puente, Blanco didn't shy away from violence to add to her wealth. Blanco allegedly ordered the murders of over 200 people, yet she was never charged with a single one. Though the Colombian police were unable to pin any murders on Blanco, her rivals still sought to get revenge after she'd ordered so many of their compatriots' executions. At the age of 69, Blanco finally met her end.
5: Griselda lived a peaceful, quiet, anonymous life for a couple years, until her life story blew up on televisions everywhere. It started with news articles and culminated in a documentary called Cocaine Cowboys in 2006, detailing her insane life at the top of Miami's cocaine industry. Revy Ayala gave extensive interviews for the film.
0: The documentary was such a hit, they made a sequel in 2008 called Cocaine Cowboys 2, Hustlin' with the Godmother. This one starred both Reeve and Charles Cosby.
5: With her face plastered across newspapers, TV, and the internet, Griselda was starting to get recognized as she meandered around Medellin. And in 2012, she was recognized by the wrong group of people.
0: It was Labor Day weekend. Griselda and her daughter-in-law, her son Michael's wife, were taking a trip to the local butcher. They were planning a barbecue so Griselda was stocking up on $150 worth of meat. She paid no mind when two men on a motorcycle stopped outside. They were both wearing dark helmets that covered their entire faces. One of the men idled on the motorcycle while the other got off and walked toward the butcher shop.
5: The jingle of the bell on the door signaled his arrival, followed by two loud gunshots one to Griselda's shoulder, and the other to her head. He calmly walked outside, got on the motorcycle, and drove off.
0: Griselda's daughter-in-law screamed for help, but the deed was done. At 69 years old, Griselda Blanco was dead.
5: To this day, no one knows who killed her, whether it was an old rival, the family of an old victim, or someone else. Whoever it was had a sense of irony, killing the godmother with the same execution method she'd invented three decades prior.
1: In that clip from our Kingpins episodes on Griselda Blanco, the notorious Queen Pin met her end while standing in a butcher shop, Unlike Dorothea Puente, Blanco's crimes did not begin when she was elderly. Her first murder was committed at the age of 11, and as she grew older, she amassed even more wealth and power. It was less surprising that she was still committing crimes in her 60s, and perhaps more surprising that she had survived to her 60s at all. Our last elderly criminal comes from our show, Cults. James T. Roberts founded the Brethren cult in 1971 and remained in power until his death in 2015 at the age of 76. The Brethren believed that participating in any culture outside of their religion was a pathway to sin. Television, music, sex, and even contacting people who were not part of the cult was strictly forbidden. Roberts' goal was to completely isolate his followers and make them fear excommunication so much that they felt he was their only source of stability. Former members detailed their complete loss of identity, as well as their requirement to sever all contact with their family and friends. To further isolate his members and prevent discovery by police, Robert split up the group and led them on a nomadic lifestyle that included digging for food in dumpsters. Georgia Busweiler had at least confirmation that her son is alive and doing reasonably well. Some weren't so lucky. Over two dozen families continued to write to their children via the Roberts Group Parents Network's online database, hoping that someone would come forward with information on their loved one or that their son or daughter would read the letters. But since members of the Brethren weren't permitted to use modern technology like the Internet, it's unlikely they read their parents' pleas.
4: But the parents of Brethren members didn't necessarily have to wait forever. Many destructive cults can't survive once the leader dies. And on December 6th, 2015, James T. Roberts passed away at the age of 76.
1: We know Roberts did not believe in doctors or medication. So it's unsurprising that when he died, he was only 105 pounds, with sunken conjunctivitis-filled eyes and yellowing skin. The coroner noted that Roberts hadn't been to the doctor in so many years, it was almost impossible to tell what exactly killed him. But the coroner did find multiple different kinds of cancers in his body.
4: Unfortunately for parents looking for their missing children, it's unclear what effect the death of Jimmy Roberts had on the Brethren as a whole. Rumors swirl that some of the more hesitant cells of Brethren followers disbanded when they learned the Elder died. Others believe the Brethren is still very much in operation.
1: In that clip from our cults episode on the Brethren, Spurn family members desperately searched for their lost loved ones. Unfortunately, the extreme isolation of Roberts and the members of the Brethren made it nearly impossible for them to track their missing sons and daughters down. Decades have passed, with many people having lost contact for good. In the world of crime, the elderly are a rarity. Yet when they get involved in law-breaking behavior, they can sometimes cause more damage than many had ever thought possible. Their age becomes a shield from suspicion. In Con Artists, Bernie Madoff ran a Ponzi scheme worth over $1 billion, amassing an obscene amount of ill-gotten wealth and thwarting several SEC inquiries. In Serial Killers, Dorothea Puente murdered and discarded her fellow elderly, purely for the monthly bump of their social security checks. In Kingpins, Griselda Blanco built one of the largest and most violent drug empires the world had ever seen, only to be gunned down in a butcher shop much like the people she had ordered butchered herself. And in cults, James T. Roberts convinced many to give up everything they knew and follow him, ultimately leaving them stranded and lost to their former loved ones after dying of old age. While we may think them frail and harmless, these elderly criminals have made it clear that they are not to be underestimated. Sometimes the old can be far too bold for their own good. Thanks for tuning in to ParCast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on elderly criminals. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode on childhoods from hell. Some of the worst instances of abuse and neglect that led to our most terrifying criminals. If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our ParCast original shows, con artists, kingpins, serial killers, female criminals, and cults on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite ParCast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Network. I'll see you next time.